Welcome to Gen Z Money, episode 44. When you have a parent that is constantly in a scarcity mindset or just a survival mindset, the way that you communicate to your child, and it took me years of therapy, <laughs> it took me time to kind of realize this, right? The way that you communicate to your child is not a direct response of the situation that's happening. It's really out of uh, frustration of the, the, the life events and things and the stressors of the life. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Gen Z Money Podcast, where we turn financial peace to your reality. I'm your host, James Bowman, and today I have a phenomenal guest. She is one-third of the Financial Griots Podcast, where they talk about personal finance and finances in the African-American community. Guys, I bring on Atlanta, and Atlanta brings the fire. Man, she was so, so fun to interview because we go over literally step-by-step step, every single step she's gone to to curate her path to financial independence. We talk about her dealing with collections agencies, which is awesome to dive into. And we just hear her story about purchasing a home or purchasing a condo. And we just go deep, deep, deep into her story. She does a, such a great job illustrating herself and articulating, you know, all of the obstacles and things she's gone through. So I think tons and tons of people are going to relate to not only where she was, but you all guys are also going to relate to where she is going. So I really, really, really hope you guys stick around and listen to this episode because a lot of people are going to be able to relate. And a lot of you guys are going to deal with the same obstacles that she had to deal with. So she's going to teach you how to navigate those things. With that being said, if you guys want to hear more from Atlanta, I'm going to plug at the end of the episode all the places that you can find her and down in the show notes, I also have her links. But without further ado, guys, let's just jump right into the interview. It's so amazing. Let's go. Before we get into the interview, let's hear a quick word from today's show sponsors. Atlanta, welcome to the Gen Z Money Podcast. How are you doing on this fabulous afternoon? I am doing incredible first weekend after my birthday, so I'm feeling good, feeling a lot of gratitude and love. Thank you so much, James, for having me on. No, the pleasure is truly all mine. After our first conversation on your podcast, The Financial Grio, I knew like I had to get you on here to share your story because I just I love seeing people who look like us doing great in this financial space. So this is so great. <laughs> so those of you guys who do not know you, this is Atlanta. She is the one of the co-hosts on the Fian Financial Grill podcast. Is that correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. And of course, you have an Instagram page where you're sharing all of your wins, which I'm 100% sure we're going to get into. But I like to start in the beginning, right? Let's go to 10-year-old Atlanta. Where does your money story begin? How was money talked about in your household as you grew up? So my, my money story can be somewhat similar to others, uh, slightly different, depends on the community that you were brought into. So I would necessarily say the story is more of a mindset of scarcity. 
right? I'm the youngest of six. My mother um, is a Haitian immigrant and I'm first generation Haitian American here in the United States. So my mom did the best that she could for what she had. Uh, unfortunately, a few years um, immigrated to the country, my, my father brought her over. Um, he unexpectedly passed away. So now she has, you know, children and the, the second pair of her children uh, were under the age of three all in diapers and she had to care for them on her own. Financially, it was tough and not even knowing the language as much, let alone the culture, right? So uh, for us, money wasn't necessarily talked about. If it was discussed, it was more or less, we don't have it. <laughs> Any uh, trips, you remember, well, in, in elementary school, they always had the Washington DC trips for the uh, safety patrols and all these like end of the year trips and um, activities. I was never really a part of those things, right? Unless it was free or something that extracurricular activities for our school provided. And I, the only thing I could think of is because we had enough, right? My mom always, <laughs> my mom always uh, tell us, you know, you have food, you have shelter and you have clothes on your back. You know, and, and that's what she could provide for us. And I always found that gratitude because it was never in the amount I was lacking, per se. It was just more that we just had enough to survive. And it was always about survival. Um, and growing up, too, I start seeing when I start becoming more part of sports. Um, I was in Girl Scouts, also just being a part of just school activities. And I start traveling around my community, just outside of my small town. And I start seeing how resources and money works hand in hand. Um, we were the first girls soccer team in my middle school. And, you know, we were fairly new, lack of skills. <laughs> we just wanted to start a soccer team. Uh, so when we travel out to different regions and districts, when we played uh, different students, I seen that how skilled they were and also seen they had new cleats and they had this uniform and all these things. And uh, I, I recall my coach telling us that these kids have been practicing since they were age of five, right? And I can't even recall what I was doing at five, but I remember uh, most times I was switching from homes because my mom was putting us in different, you know, babysitter and stuff like that because she has to work, right? So it was always that scarcity mindset. It was, it was up until that I started becoming more exposed. Then I realized that, you know, it's not just only money, it's resources that money can provide you. And entering college as well is just, you know, as many others, <laughs> lack of resources and just lack of guidance as well. Um, and continue, continue that theme of scarcity. Once I start making my own money, um, I wanted to spend it. <laughs> I, I, I felt as though I was experiencing too much delayed gratification, seeing others do that, do things that I could not. So once I got my first Bank of America credit card, swipe, 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 swipe. $1,500 immediately within months in credit card debt. And, um, and I did the most wrong thing you can ever do in credit card. I closed the account. <laughs> James face like, no. Yeah, I, oh, okay, okay. Mm -mm. So that, that kind of started out just a uh, domino effect. That first credit card, 
and just continuously, just continuously making just bad financial decisions. Um, I had scholarships and uh, tuition, everything that was covering my fees for school, but I took out additional loans to cover the cost of living. And I think that's something we don't discuss about. Um, and it's, it's a, I will, will say it is a first generation thing in the lack of resources and guidance because we push our children to go to college, but we don't think about the cost, not only for books, but the cost of living. This is phone bill. This is, if you have a car, who's gonna pay for that? Medical, like food, all these things, because you're in school for, you know, the fall and the winter semester. What if you wanna go to school in the summer? You know, um, do you have a home to go back to? It's all these things, how you clothe yourself, how you take care of yourself. And for me, it was just taking out additional loans because I've seen other people doing it. And I couldn't really uh, find a source or someone like, well, how do I support myself? <laughs> I didn't really have that. And, and again, it just becomes this uh, domino effect. And I find myself in thousands and thousands of dollars of debt aside from a student loan debt, but also personal consumer debt with credit cards. So it became just a, a whirlwind of things when you're financing trips, you're financing clothes, you're financing uh, simply FOMO, fear of missing out. And it, it, it was really a desperation of me wanting to get my life together. Um, and it's like a close friend, um, as you know, Lawrence, uh, AKA the neighborhood finance guy, uh, he, when he traveled to and start living in Washington, DC, he started really getting into debt with his own personal financial uh, journey. And I just start like looking more and more into his story and reaching out to him because we knew each other from college. He went to Florida State, I went to FAMU. And it was just that seeing someone that looks like me, uh, experiencing the same things that I experienced but from the same um, region, well, in Florida, South Florida. And it was just these things that I knew that if someone that looks like me had all the setbacks that I have setbacks, well, let me reach out to this person to see how did they do it. And it was just a lot of, you know, exchanging information, a lot of communication that really brought me to the point that I really want to double down and take more control of my finances. And once I start taking more control of my finances, it taught me to be more disciplined, but also taught me that anything that I really want to do is start with myself. I can't take any other excuses or take blame on anyone else because how you start off does not matter is how you finish golly Atlanta, you just unpacked so much oh I'm, I'm ready to deep dive into this so okay so your your parents are first generation immigrants they come from haiti and your father unfortunately passes away shortly after your mother gets here so when you said that i just I will never understand it because obviously I was born here. I understand the language and things like that. I can never understand the amount of fear that would be going through my body to realize I just came to this new country and I lost the person that I am supposed to be doing this journey with, you know, the person that got me here and we had this plan. So shout out to your mom for finding a way to make it work. And I, I hate to say it like this, but I, I look at it as a blessing because when somebody goes through something so traumatic, when people go through bankruptcy, when they go through loss of a family member, things like that, this can ruin people. So the fact that she did not let it ruin her and she was able to support the whole family and make things happen, it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal story. And it's brought you to where you are today. With that being said, 
I, I completely understand why you had such a survival and scarcity mindset because, I mean, you had one parent and you guys were fresh here. With that being said, do you think, you, you mentioned your FOMO, your fear of missing out, and you also mentioned very distinctively that school trip that you could not go on to Washington, D.C. Do you think that that experience in and of itself is one of the contributing factors that gave you that FOMO, like, listen, when I'm an adult, I'm no longer missing that trip to Washington, D.C., or I'm no longer missing that school event, or I'm no longer doing this because of finances? Absolutely. Um, it, we, we talk about delayed gratification as adults, but we really don't deep dive into delayed gratification when you are a child, like simple things, right? Um, going to the mall or going, just hanging out with your friends, you know, cause sometimes though my parents were strict, it was either it was school or church <laughs> or it was an extracurricular activity um, that I always had to do. And, and I understand that just being mindful of having a daughter, um, raising her as a single, well, not a single parent, as a widow parent, right? So I, I, I totally understand that now I'm, as I am an adult, but when I was younger, it, it was really that I always questioned myself, why didn't we have? What's wrong? Why didn't we have? And not really uh, realizing, you know, we had enough, but I just wanted a little bit more. <laughs> and I think taking that mindset as I got older, because I used to always think when I grow up, I'm going to do this and I'm going to travel and I'm just going to do all these things, not realizing those things and those consumptions takes money, you know? Um, and I didn't really find more appreciation on the free things, just basic just value stuff being around your family be hanging around with your friends or just you know going out to dinner things like that it's more of appreciation that I have now than I did when I was younger but yeah absolutely when I was younger it I, I knew from a very young age <laughs> as I got older I am going to do all these things that I could not when I was younger so let me ask you this and I don't and I I, I you could you don't even have to answer this but I'm going to ask anyways because I am intrigued and I just I love to know these things. Did you personally, seeing that you guys didn't have these luxuries and you didn't have these things, did you ever as a kid feel like it was your fault that the finances weren't there? Or was your mother very transparent to say, no, this isn't your fault. It's just these un unforeseen circumstances happened and that's the reason. Or, or was it you kind of in the middle where you didn't know or not? Um, I actually thought, yeah, that's that's a good point that you mentioned, Jane, because I actually thought it was my fault, right? Um, when you have a parent that is constantly in a scarcity mindset or just a survival mindset, the way that you communicate to your child, and it took me years of therapy, <laughs> it took me time to kind of realize this, right? The way that you communicate to your child is not a direct response of the situation that's happening. It's really out of uh, frustration, of the, the, the life events and things and the stressors of the life, right? So um, it was really communicated to me more and more of how um, we didn't have enough of this or we're eating too much of this. You know, we're growing kids. This is what we do, <laughs> right? So I always did feel like it was somewhat of my fault, but it took me as I got older that I gave my mom grace, you know? And I, I had to understand that she did the best that she could for what she had at that time. But when you're younger, you don't realize that that the environment facilitate frustration in the environment and the stressors or not having enough or having somewhat enough 
right, facilitate this way of thinking that, you know, is it going to be better in the future? What's going to happen? And you take all these motions, you take all this trauma into yourself and you just want to do better, but you're not realizing you're only doing at the aftermath of the effects of your own trauma that you're trying to fulfill. So yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, I think that that's super important. And the reason that I asked this, because this isn't something that's brand new, you know, when you're a parent and you're dealing with things like financial problems or even relationship problems, spiritual problems, all these things, the people around you are kind of dealing with the aftermath of it. Like, it's like if you go to school and you get beat up and you come home, you're frustrated at the world. So your parents, your siblings, they are going to get that version of you. And that's no fault. We're all humans and we all project and we all do these things. But I think it's super duper important that we realize regardless of how much we try, no matter how much we want to hide all of the struggles we deal with day to day, financial problems, someone is going to have to deal with the aftermath. And it can be your children, it can be your therapist, it can be your your brothers and sisters or whoever you're interacting with. Um, I just think, and there's no way around it. So you have to be cognizant of it and try your best to make it not so overwhelming, especially for children, because as you've kind of alluded to, it's like it, it doesn't just go away. It's something you have to work out of or work to get through. Right. So you, you go to college, you, your tuition and stuff's covered, but you're like, okay, school's taken care of, but I gotta live. Like I gotta, I need a place to sleep. I need something to eat. (laughs) I need all this. And you're like, okay, student loans has got to be like that. That is the option that's would say is the least. Um, it's the the it has the least resistance. All you gotta do is sign some papers, you get the money, and that's it. So, what? How much student loan debt did you end up? Or what did you go to college for? And then, how much student loan debt did you end up accumulating to finish or pursue a degree? Right. So uh, I went to college for different things. (laughs) I changed my major. I was one of those kids constantly changing her major. Um, But I finally graduated with uh, the humanities degree. It was a degree in African-American studies. Uh, I was pursuing to be a teacher at the time. Um, So all in total, I left Florida A&M with, I think it was 31,000, if I'm not mistaken. 27 or 31, somewhere along those lines. <laughs> Let's say 31, just to um, just to estimate it, 31,000. So with my tuitions and my grants and scholarships, everything was covered. Uh, but a lot of things, again, I mentioned this in the first point is we don't discuss more of the cost of living aspect when you get off to school because certain scholarships or certain tuitions or however it's breaking down, um, they do not cover like, you know, dormitory or uh, off-campus student living, right? So this thing at uh, FAMU, we call it a net check. <laughs> you you got your net check, you got your net check or your refund check, i.e. Um, so basically, um, if, if you're new to the whole higher education, how it works is you receive a financial aid, aid package, which is the FAFSA, the federal government give you money, your scholarships or, or private scholarships, your state scholarship, if you apply for anything. It's your entire financial package of where you are going off to school. It paid for all the tuition and fees. 
once um, they break it down for each uh, semester, fall and um, winter semester. So after everything is uh, paid for, you receive the, um, you know, the average or the uh, net check. So that is the net. No more gross. Everything is paid for. Everything is fulfilled. You receive your net check, which is the refund of once everything is fulfilled. And I recall going to the financial aid office and everyone was getting checks like $4,000. $5,000, $6,000. I remember my check was only like 200. I'm like, huh? What, what, what is this? <laughs> I'm like, this, this doesn't seem right. I'm, I'm not a math major, but I know a little math. <laughs> so um, that's the first time I actually like looked at it. Cause I, I spoke to a financial aid um, counselor, I guess that's what they call them. And that's the first time I seen an itemized statement. And he told me where you can actually find that on the student portal. So I was doing that on myself. And I'm just like, all these fees, like this is how much it costs and this is how much it costs. I'm like, I don't have enough to uh, survive for the next five, six months or pay my phone bill or eat after five o'clock or on the weekends, right? Cause you, you have a lunch stipend or it's like a card, you go to the school lunch, but after a certain time you have to eat right? Or when school is out, they're, they're no longer open. So I had to think about those things or when I need like, you know, sanitary things or things to take care of myself. I'm a young woman now, right? So I'm like $200 ain't gonna cut it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't know if it was my friend or someone that I seen because uh, I was living off campus and they told me like, hey, you can, you can actually take out a loan. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, you could take out a loan to, um, to offset all those things. So um, in my mind, coming into a situation, I didn't know you can still take out a loan even after you receive your net check, your refund check. So I'm like, okay, so once everything is processed, you can still take out money? They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, where can I sign up? <laughs> where can I sign up? Because um, I, I was going to work part-time and I also was going to school, but the money I was receiving just wasn't cutting it to pay off my... Um, my utilities, my rent, everything that I need. And because a friend did that where she was taking out a loan to kind of cover the entire year for her um, rental, her rental apartment. I'm like, I can do that, right? So I took out my first loan and then because how easy it is, right? You just go through the little prompts and everything and the semi-class rabbit ears, semi-class that you have to take to say that you promised to pay this loan black, back blah 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 and you sign and within a week I had over three grand in my account I'm like okay and you know and I was I was at first responsible I'll say that I was paying off my you know um my apartment and everything so I didn't have to worry about that so all the extra income was coming to me in terms of like my part-time job or whatever but as time progressed um I see my friends with cars I didn't have a car so <laughs> I got tired of taking the um, city uh, transportation. And if you ever, if you are uh, aware of city transportation, there depends on where you are, but in Tallahassee, they're extremely slow. <laughs> it takes a while sometimes and you're very restricted on where you can go um, because of the time, right? So uh, there've been moments in, in, in incidents where I was late for class or late for work because of the bus. I'm like, oh, I get frustrated. But I thought again, hey, I have student loans. <laughs> so I took out one of the biggest student loans I took out, I think it was like 15 or 20 grand to buy a car. 
So I took out 15, 20 grand to purchase a car. So I remember the story that you told us on the podcast about, <laughs> you know, purchasing your car near the uh, uh, military base. Yeah, I, I took out the... I took out the a student loan. I think it was being 10 or 15, somewhere between a lot. It was so long ago. But I purchased my first car, which is a Honda, right from the dealership. I'm just like, I want that car. I think I drove it once. Like, no one came to check. I was just like, I want that sports car. And I was just so happy. Like, it, it's just a form of independence that you have. When you have your own transportation, you don't have to wait on no one. You don't have to do this. Then I realized, too, I have to get uh, car insurance. <laughs> I had to put gas in this car. So um, at the time, my expenses were low. But even after I was taking my student loans, I realized that the consumption, everything I was purchasing was increasing my expenses because now I have auto insurance. Now I have uh, a car insurance. I have utilities. Like everything just kept increasing. So every semester I was taking out more loans (laughs) just to offset my uh, income just to live while I was in uh, college. Oh my goodness. I love, I love that in part, the fact that this form of debt, it, it literally creates a spiraling out of control aspect where you take out a loan to buy a car. And because now you have a car and you have a car payment, now you have insurance. Now you have gas. Now you need more loans to cover these things because your expense is going up. And then now the debt payment is higher. So now you need more income. And so it's literally a spiraling effect just by making one, let's call it irrational decision to purchase a car. So <laughs> I hate to say this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address the elephant in the room. Your friend did not do you well by introducing you to the loans. But but we will, (laughs) let's be very clear. We're just having fun. But most people fall into that same category. So I I 100% believe that there was no ill intent behind it. Like, (laughs) I want Atlanta to go into hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt so she'll (laughs) never be free. (laughs) It wasn't that. It was like, hey, look, I know you need to survive. Here's how I'm doing it. And you can do it too. And so, and it's the same thing. Thing with everything, student loans, car payments, mortgages, all these things. Um, normally, there's no real ill intention behind it. So right. I was just poking fun at your friend, but it is true that, you yeah. know, she kind of helped you. Blind put you the blind. <laughs> ah, there it is. The blind leading the blind. The intentions were there, but the execution just wasn't. So you graduate, you say, what about $31,000 of student loan debt? And then you mentioned you had a credit card for $1,500. Was there any other debt that you graduated with? Um, at that point, uh, those credit cards were out already in collections. <laughs> um, maybe I had a um, collection debt from utilities or maybe a phone bill here and there. Because keep in mind, when you are working or have enough, you're scraping money to just pay your phone bill, you switch companies just to be sure, you know, you can have the same number before they cut off your phone. It was a trick <laughs> that I used to do. <laughs> I think I think I had every phone company <laughs> like years ago. I'm so serious. I had so many numbers when I was in college. Don't, uh, don't put out those tips, Atlanta, because I don't want none of my listeners doing it now. Hold on now. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure it, it was so easy back then with the prepaid phones. Um, whatnot. I'm pretty sure they have more regulations to how they do stuff, but it was just so easy back then. But um, just maybe some, just a lot of phone bills, switching out companies. Um, you know, you have to pay for the phone, all that good stuff. Uh, so yeah, consumer debt and some student loans at, at that point, credit, yeah, credit card debt. So 
Gotcha. So you graduate and you said you you were intending to become a teacher. Is that what you ended up doing? Um, yeah. So I, I taught a bit when I was in um, my undergraduate at uh, FAMU. I think the last few months um, I did student aid teaching. I did tutoring on the side. And then I once I graduated, I decided to move to South Korea like a few months later to uh, teach English. So it was another opportunity for me to take to see if this is seriously something I want to pursue. Um, and once I was there, I think it kind of just, you know, expand my horizon and really kind of open my eyes globally of how just money works, but resources and just another life for myself. Gotcha. So you moved to South Korea. So let's um, let's fast forward a little bit. So you said you already knew Lawrence from high school. Shout out to the neighborhood finance guy. I'll have him linked in. Yeah, I knew him from college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so he moves and you see that he's starting to be uh, very transparent about his finances, about how he's starting to build wealth. And that kind of gives you an inspiration. Like, wait a minute, what is this guy doing that I'm not? Is that right? Absolutely. Um, this is before Instagram and everything. I'm kind of showing my age at this point. <laughs> Before all these other platforms really start coming to the forefront, but Facebook was the two the the platform the popular pop platform at the time. And Lawrence used to always just post updates or things he was learning or things he was realizing by himself within his own financial journey. Um, the credit report, um, going through his you know entire credit report, how that actually looks or what to do when you want to contest an item or dispute an item. So it, it was those things that because he was so transparent and I was so appreciative because I actually knew him, it just took you know a, a simple message on Facebook, us just reconnecting and asking more questions like, hey, how are you doing this? Or what, what do you think of this? That's really just exchanging information. I think that's what really gave me the encouragement that I needed to kind of kickstart my finances because I, I didn't know my credit score. I think my credit score was like in six, five hundreds. I didn't know anything. I just knew like, hey, I'm, I'm getting paid. I am traveling. I'm teaching. I am living the life <laughs> of a 24-year-old. And um, But I, I wanted to really be financially prepared as well because I was making um, all this money and I had the opportunity to save or, you know, pay off debt because my um, housing was covered by my employer. But I want to make sure I was being responsible. I think it, it would really teach me that I need to be responsible. Yeah, I think that I don't, I don't want to go over the point you just made a second ago. I really wanted to hone in because I think it is one of the most important things about personal finance. And it is that when you have someone in arm's reach that is doing what you want to be doing, that are literally just a message away, it because we all see the millionaires on YouTube and we all see the financial gurus all over social media. And these are just images of people. We know nothing about them. We don't know where they come from, what they do. We know nothing about them. It's much, much different when you say, hey, wait a minute. We were at a party together on the keg. I know this guy. I'm going to message him. And I'm going to follow up. So I think for those out there who are going through their financial journey, just like Lauren said, just like I'm doing, if you're documenting it, people are much, much more likely to reach out and seek information from you than they will from anyone else on the entire internet. So that's inspiration to everybody. And Atlanta does it. I do it. 
share your wins, share your losses, because if you can inspire at least one person to make a change, it's 100% worth it. And that's why this podcast, like, I don't want to be that billionaire real estate guy trying to teach people how to get into real estate. I want to be that guy who has like one or two rentals that wants to get people into real estate because it's much more relatable. So yeah, I really wanted to point that out because it's super duper important to have people that are in arm's reach to inspire. So you're, you're following Lawrence's content. You see like, oh, this guy is winning. I want to win like him. Was there a moment where you were like, cause I'm sure you probably saw his content for, you know, a month or two. And then you're like, oh, that's nice. And then was there ever like a sick and tired of being sick and tired moment where you're like, all right, Atlanta, I got to get my stuff together. Like, was there a moment or did you just kind of wake up one day and say, you know what? I want to do what he's doing. I don't think there was a, a actual moment. I think there were a lot of instances that I knew that was, was creating a mindset for me that I need to do better with my life. Um, once you travel outside of the country, especially as far east that I was in South Korea, you start realizing how, you start realizing what was really important for you. Um, and outside of that, I, I guess just the whole nomad lifestyle, I just met so much of travelers and people all over the, the world is that it's, it's a, a turnaround dough. Like it's, it's constantly revolving. People are in and out, people are in and out. You meet people, you don't meet people. Like it, it's constantly uh, revolving all the time. And I, I just wanted to make sure I had a plan, a solid plan for myself. And looking at Lawrence's post, I just knew that I just wanted to make a change because when I uh, found it was through him, I'm pretty sure it was through him that you can actually go on the um, creditreport.com and receive a free credit report. Like it's, you could get one or two for free. I didn't even know that, right? And it took me to print it out while I was in um, school, it took me to print it out when I was working and to see that I had like a shot credit score. I think it was like 528, maybe. <laughs> It was ridiculous. And this was like 2014, 20, uh, 2012, 2013, somewhere along those lines. Um, but it was really bad. I just didn't realize I had so many things in collection too. When I was just kind of skimming through all these things and medical things from high school, I'm like, what is this from 2000, you know? Um, so it wasn't just one thing. It was just all the instances. Um, I recall my debit card not working, just, you know, being embarrassed, <laughs> trying to pay for simple items under $100, uh, just spending outside of my means. And it, it was just really seeing how a person was getting their life under control and their life and everything in, in just a matter of months or years, however long I was uh, reading his posts. Uh, so it, it just really encouraged me that I, I just need to get it together because I didn't want to be, you know, this, you know, older person still trying to figure it out. <laughs> like, I didn't want that for my life. And I just realized, too, it's just like the spending was coming from a void that I was trying to uh, fill or something that I didn't get when I was younger, too. Gotcha. So it, it wasn't really a major event. It was literally like ankle biters to where one might bite your ankle. You're like, ah, that's annoying. Exactly. And another exactly. one bites your ankle. You're like, ah, that's annoying. And then three of them bite you like, okay, hold on a second. Like, this is very annoying. I need to get rid of these things. So it's like, um, what do they call it? Death from a thousand cuts or something. Exactly. Like that. Right. Right. Gotcha. So you mentioned that you print out your credit score and you're like, whoo, Lord of mercy. So 
was that like the first tactical step to where you realized like, okay, like what were the tactical steps you started taking? Did you start knocking out these collection debts? Did you establish an emergency fund? Uh, did you just go for educational content? Like what was the actual first tactical step that you remember taking? After seeing uh, th those actually one, from what I recall, that was the first thing I did was print out my um, credit report. And after seeing how low <laughs> their credit, uh, my credit rating was, um, I, I kind of got out my feelings <laughs> for a minute. I'm an emotional person, but I got out my feelings for a minute. And I just got, I, I just started toughening up, you know. Um, I had to learn to forgive myself first. I'm like, that was then, this is now, right? And I was going through just this emotional, I, I guess, state of how I allow this to happen like oh if I would have done this better and everything so I, I allowed myself to kind of go through that emotion and to feel that emotion because I told myself I'm, 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 I'm going to allow it to feel through and to filter everything but I'm not going to allow it to kind of like fester too long right so once I print out the credit report I just start really going through it and just start googling a lot of things because I had access to the internet and I start you know reaching out to Lawrence and asking him all these questions but I start just like researching myself different terminology what does this mean what does that mean and really start figuring out how can I make this work for myself and, and from there on um, it wasn't really like having savings account because I always had somewhat somewhat of you know money in the account just in case I need money but I didn't know how to utilize those uh tactics and become disciplined of making my money work for me not just allowing it to sit there and just like okay when I need to pay bills just pay the bill right it, it wasn't that it was just more or less just having more control and being more um I guess uh, disciplined on what I want to do with my money because I feel like anyone can make money it's not the case it's what are you actually doing with your money um that's why so much so many of us are living paycheck to paycheck or very like over the edge at some point. So it was me just really going through my credit report and um, just Googling things, reaching out to friends, people that I knew that was actually doing the same thing. And it just encouraged me more and more after seeing more of Lawrence post that, hey, I can actually do this. Like, I think I'm smart. <laughs> I know I'm smart. <laughs> uh, I got here at this point, you know, so I, I can do this. Is If there's planes in the sky, <laughs> I can figure this out from a credit report, I can figure this out. So it, it was really just changing my mindset and just letting go of the past. That was then, this is now. Yeah, I think you used a very interesting term. You used the term toughened up. And the way you describe it, which I could be wrong and I want you to correct me, but you let yourself go through the emotions. You let yourself go through like the sadness, the embarrassment, the all of the emotions that come with realizing like, okay, hold on, my credit score is absolute garbage. But then you toughened up and you actually took action. Is that what you mean by toughened up? Because I know a lot of people, they think, oh, toxic masculinity. <laughs> so, but is that what you mean by toughen up? Absolutely. That is, that is exactly what I mean. I'm, I'm happy that you're, you clarify on that because we, we take all these emotions and in most time we become stagnant because we fester in the, you know, embarrassment 
and we just sit there and thinking things is going to change. Maybe, I don't know, just keep looking at these same behaviors and praying and wishing things would change. It doesn't work that way. Manifest, manifestation typically work when you're asking the universe or you're praying to God. Once you start allowing yourself and putting action to make it work, you can only position yourself so much in doing things for you to make it work. So for me, toughening up, um, because I guess I grew up in an environment that was, for the most part, really tough, right? You had, as a, a young girl, you had to be tough or you'll just get walked over, right? So I took that same mindset to say that, okay, this happened, I'm embarrassed, but it doesn't have to be my story, you know? And seeing someone that looks like me in the same background and culture and we're so, from similar uh, regions that's doing, I'm like, okay, I can do this. I'm smart enough. I can do this. For me, that is tough enough. That's taking a proactive approach to get the things done that you need because I couldn't rely on my parent. Not, not to say that she wasn't there for me, but she could only do what she could do. I couldn't rely on too many people because they're trying to figure it out. So I need to rely on myself. I need to take accountability for myself. And how do I do, do those things? It's just by toughening up. Take that same mindset and, and just push through and figure it out. And that's what I really had to tell myself to kind of get through the journey. I think that's phenomenal. I think you decided or you realized like no one is going to solve my problems. No one is going to to give just give me solutions. I need to seek them out myself. And I think that is a very great representation of toughening up, realizing like nobody's going to come save me. So I have to do something on my own. I love that. I, and I, you know, that with all of the different things going around, like student loan forgiveness and these forbearance things and like that, I always say like, these are all nice, but I don't want to put my faith in someone else. If they come, if I happen to win the lottery, God <laughs> bless it. It is what it is. But yeah. as soon as you start relying on that, as soon as you start realizing, like, I have to win the lottery to be successful, somebody, you're putting your fate in someone else's hands. And just me personally, I have never seen that as productive. And that you're going to be waiting a very long time for someone else to solve your problems. And I, you realize that really early, like, listen, no one is going to solve my problems. I need to make the changes. So I love that. So, okay, you get your credit report. You're following Lawrence. You're asking him all these questions. You're educating yourself. What was your first quarter? You said that you were all, you always had a little savings account. You always, you know, tried to live on less than you made. So you had the basics of this whole personal finance thing pretty down from the beginning. So what were your steps going forward? Did you start prioritizing debt? Did you start prioritizing investing? What did that look like? So after seeing, you know, my credit report and just start assessing the collections, I actually contact the collection agency, something I would not advise others to do. <laughs> do not contact your collection agency after a few years of it being on your credit report. So I actually started contacting um, the credit, uh, what a collection agency to negotiate and settle my debt. Um, not knowing what I know now is that it will still be there. <laughs> it was just a subtle, all right, or lesser amount on your credit report. So I don't, I don't advise doing that. But um, it, it took that, I took that approach because at the time I kind of thought that it would be erased from your credit report. Um, but you know, it didn't erase. But I, I see after some months of doing so and just paying off 
uh, the subtle amount. I did see a slight movement in my credit um, my credit uh, report at that time. So I think it really initiated something inside of me and sparked something inside of me to say like, oh, okay, it's moving, it's going. And uh, doing more research time and time again, just moving forward, I realized like, hey, I need to start over when it comes to this credit thing. Let me apply for a new credit card. So while I was in South Korea, I applied for my, um, I say second credit card at the time because we don't count Bank of America credit card, right? <laughs> We're not counting that first credit card. So I applied for my second credit card at the time, which was a traveler's point. Um, and, you know, I was traveling all the time. So it kind of worked out with no international fees. And, and yeah, while I was in South Korea, I was just paying off my credit credit um, balance each month. So I was creating that discipline um, within myself, just, you know, just keep paying off, paying off. And so by the time I got to um, back to the U.S., uh, there was a new credit card waiting for me with the same company. I'm like, hey, OK, cool. I have a new credit card. So. It, it, it was really just becoming the person that I wanted to become, but it started off positioning myself and discipline myself to just pay off the, the debt that I have. But also once I got a, a credit card, just be more disciplined. You're not the 18 year old Atlanta just want to go buy shoes and clothes and all this other stuff, but you're being disciplined. You're paying off your, your balances. You're making purchases that make sense, <laughs> right? Um, being more conscientious um, spender, so um, that, that really what I started to do is really becoming more mindful when it comes to my credit, because as I was learning more and more is that more wealthy people don't use their money. <laughs> they use, you know, credit or but they use, you know, debt or whatever to create more assets. But you can't create more assets and um, have this access of, of money unless you're positioned and have the credit worthiness of doing so. So I started researching. I'm like, you know what? I want an 800 credit score. I don't know how to do it at first, but I'm going to get there, right? So I really had that attitude and momentum to say that I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to pay off these credit cards. And it feels good when you start doing those things and just saving and being more conscientious of what you're spending your money on. I love that. So I want to go back really, really quickly and clarify some of the things you just talked about, just so the listeners don't uh, misconstrue it or they fully understand what you were saying. So contacting the credit agencies, you contact them. And for the listeners who do not know, the way a credit agency works and the way credit in general works is once it's on your report, it can only stay on your report for seven years from last activity. So Atlanta calling up the credit agency, let's say it was five years old. That means in two years, it would have been completely gone off of your credit. Her calling up and making, let's just say she made one payment, right? She just restarted that seven-year clock. With yep. that being said, that can be a very destructive thing to do. There are ways to get around that. For example, when you're calling to negotiate a settlement, let's say Atlanta owed $10,000 on a credit card and they agreed to accept five. Well, she pays her $5,000, she upholds her end. But like she just said earlier, now on your credit report, it says debt settled. And now that is on your credit report for up to seven years, and it's still going to be hurting you. Now, there are ways around this. If you get in writing, you can negotiate like, hey, if we settle this, you need to remove it from my credit score altogether. 
That way they get their payment and now it is completely off your credit score. But these are things that you need to negotiate before payment is made and you also need to get it in writing. That way you have proof to the credit bureau saying, hey, we agreed on this. This is what I paid. This should be off. And now you have proof and you have the leverage. So there are ways to get around what happened to Atlanta, but you have to be diligent and upfront. And of course, most of us, including me, don't know how any of this works. So I just wanted to clarify that because, you know, contacting the agency is a good idea, but you have to do it right. And you have to protect yourself. Yep. So absolutely, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. And for those who do have uh, things in collections that they want to negotiate, they want to settle, just make sure you're doing it the right way. Don't give them electric access, electric access to your bank account. Uh, get it all in writing. Make sure it gets removed from your credit. It just doesn't get updated on your credit because you'll be in the same place with Atlanta where it's on there for however long they deem fit. Yeah, they got me. <laughs> they got you. Yeah. And they get that. that it, it's, it's a nature of their job, man. They're, yeah. It's the nature of their job. You just kind of have to play by their rules. And then another thing that you brought up is the credit cards. You realized, like, I like to think of credit cards like a hammer. I think all of us as kids, right, we all played with the hammer where we tried to nail in something and we smacked our finger. And we don't sit there and say, I will never, ever in my life use a hammer ever again because your life is going to be difficult. It's the same uh -huh. thing with credit cards. If you get a credit card and you completely max it out, you close the account like <laughs> somebody I don't know. I know. <laughs> the shame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you max it out, close it out, never pay it, you know, you used that tool wrong. You can go through life never using a credit card again, and you can go through life never using a hammer again. But life is just going to be a little bit more difficult. So instead, Atlanta says, okay. I realize that this can be an efficient tool. I actually need this tool to help me build my credit. And boom, she starts using the tool correctly and it does wonders. It does what it's supposed to do. So this just goes, you know, a lot of the Dave Ramsey, shout out to Dave Ramsey, I love him. But like saying no to credit cards altogether, it can be a tool and any tool that is used inappropriately, incorrectly can cause damage. And that's for mortgages, that's for, uh, personal loans, that's for credit cards, that's for every single thing in the finance world. So, and then the last thing that I want to point out with what Atlanta was just talking about, I love that you started with your credit report because the thing about your credit report, right, is not only does it have everything down in black and white in writing, but the things that it takes in order to clean up your credit are also things that are going to positively impact your financial situation as a whole. You're paying off debts, you're living on less than you make. You're not uh, taking out too much debt. These are all things that they will help your credit score, but they also help your overall financial position. So it's really great that that's how you started off um, cleaning up your credit. And in turn, that cleaned up your whole financial situation. It's crazy how that works. Yeah, and I think uh, just, just to piggyback on that, the credit worthiness, I know a lot of people um, do follow Dave Ramsey, and, and for the most part, he has helped millions of people, right? Um, but uh, something that we have to, to kind of discern from is you miss out on opportunities that when you eliminate 
uh, option when you don't have credit at all, right? So because I positioned myself and make sure I worked on my credit, um, fast forward, coming back to the U.S., uh, months into uh, arriving, I received, you know, my first big girl job, my corporate job, <laughs> right? Making 45 plus, I'm not sure how much it was at the time. But the first thing they did was check my credit. <laughs> so I didn't know they was going to do that. But imagine if I did not, you know, um, had the credit worthiness of it, I would have missed out on that opportunity. And um, I had, to, they had to check my credit because um, I had to get on a corporate credit card. It was my first American Express card, right? So you have to kind of look at those things and discern um, if you're utilizing a credit card, make sure you're using it appropriately and not to mismanage that credit because it will help you and leverage you to get into a better position because be because I worked on my credit th those years ago, I was accessed and, you know, employed with a great company that actually leveraged and seen my credit worthiness and I received a corporate credit card and I was able to work for that company for four years. So we, we have to kind of think about those things as well, because there's certain positions and employers, they really look at your credit. Because are you responsible to have a credit card? Are they? Are you responsible to have, you know, a, 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 I had a corporate a car at the time too. So these are all the things they keep, you know, bring up that you have to make sure that you're managing well. So please, please discern that when it comes to credit worthiness. Atlanta, I'm going to clip that because that is absolutely 100% facts, fire. And it's not just employment. Employment is one sector, but it's also um, housing. They check your credit score for housing, utilities, getting things like home mortgages, buying a home. These are all things that are infected by your credit. Therefore, I like to tell people, especially when making big purchases, making investments, and your credit is an investment in yourself. You always, always, always have to look at every single option that is available to you. And if you have absolutely no credit or very low credit, your options may go from five to now you have two. And those three other options are probably all better than the two you have. For example, if you're buying a home, you have the option to pay all cash. You have the option to rent for the rest of your life, or you have the option to get a mortgage. The first two options I don't like, and you can do both with very low or no credit, no problem. The third option, which I think is the best option in this instance, is available to you because you prepared yourself with increasing your credit score and being trustworthy. So I love your, your employment example because I haven't had to go through it, but I'm sure there are tons of jobs that do require to check your credit. I know, well, for example, actually I, I stand corrected in the military. Um, I need a security clearance and they check your credit for security clearance. Cause they don't yeah, want, they do. right. yeah, they don't want nobody saying, Hey, you know, <laughs> I can give you a million dollars. Give me this information. So that, but yeah, so it's like, these are all things that actually happen and not many people realize that it's necessary until it's too late, until they go to buy a home and they're like, oh yeah, you've never had a credit card. We can't approve you. Now you have to go through the whole process again. So it's better to start now, use the tools correctly than to uh, have to start later and, and try and play catch up. So you, you move back to the States, you get your first job, you're, you're now utilizing the credit card tools correctly. You're, you're living on less than you make. Where does this all go? When did you decide like, okay, 
I like what Lawrence is doing. He's sharing his story. I'm also going to share my personal finance story to hopefully inspire other people. So I took the the similar path that he took as well. Is just sharing on social media. Um, like I mentioned before, Facebook was a social platform at the time for sharing, connecting with people. So I was just I was just sharing like tips here and there, or just you know making funny memes because I love funny stuff. Um, so just sharing my experience, right? Um, and I guess throughout my journey and things that I was learning about financial literacy, one of the biggest things uh, that we spend a lot of our money on and is housing. And at the time when I moved back, my housing was, I think, at least over 20% of my income. So I was living in this huge, beautiful place, by the way. It's very beautiful, but I was hardly home. I was rarely home um, because of work or, put, or just personal traveling. And I was just spending all this money. And then when the renewal came, it was just more money. I'm like, I'm already spending all this money. <laughs> so it, it was just this constant thing that I had to realize and looking at my budget, looking at all the money I was spending for traveling and doing all these things. And I told myself, well, I want to continue traveling, but I need to take out the biggest thing <laughs> from my budget is the housing. So um, what I did was look for more affordable housing. And keep in mind, guys, this was back in 2015, 2016, 2017. So this is nothing recent. Um, so I looked for uh, more affordable housing for me. And um, that really took a chunk out of my budget where, uh, where I could have, I guess, distribute that money and reallocate that money into other things. Because um, I was realizing I wasn't contributing enough to my retirement account. So when I'm looking into these other financial journeys, you have people, you know, uh, six figures, seven figures, 20, 50, 70,000 um, into their retirement account. I'm like, oh, I don't have anything. And I was realized I'm just leaving so much of money on the table. Um, it took me to look into my uh, retirement uh, benefit package and see like, oh, they're contributing how many percent on top of what I would contribute three, three, four or five percent. And I just knew that, well, the minimum I can do is contribute this amount. Right. So um, I took away the, the housing, the huge housing budget and really kind of downsized. So I had more extra money to put into my contribution for retirement. And once I start doing those things, um, I also realized too, is just having a health savings account. And I knew my employer provided that like HSA is it was tax tax deductible. I didn't know that. Wealthy people do this all the time. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that I didn't have any tax liabilities. And I started doing this more and more and more. And over time, I'm seeing this money just grow. Something simple from $3,000. And I have an article out in, on LinkedIn of how I just got it to $30,000. Just I just feel like it happened overnight, but it took some time, of course. But it, it was just really just doing basic just money management, really just start allocating things where it needs to go and just allow time. Things, I'm just really just living my life. I had a more affordable housing. I was able to travel more. I was able to contribute to my retirement account more and just able to just live um, freely, but not just, you know, stressing about things I didn't really have control over anymore. So I, I, felt, I felt a little bit more liberated and more control of my life once I start allocating my money on where I want it to be. So it doesn't seem like you had to, you know, 
cut your food budget from $400 a month to $100 a month. Like you didn't have to, you know, live in a shoebox under the bridge to save all this money. You, it sounds like you kind of made a tweak here, tweak there, and it, it allowed you to save more money and it also allowed you to still enjoy life. A lot of people think, you know, oh, if he's saving 25% of the income, he must not be eating. Like, well, if you look at me, I'm, I'm eating. So it sounds like you didn't really have to make like life altering drastic decisions to get to where you want to be, you know, down the road. No, it's because, because like I mentioned before, it's the three top things is housing, food, or transportation. Um, I still have my car from college, by the way, tweak Honda, Honda. <laughs> so uh, I, I still have my car over 10 years old. I have my vehicle, which is paid off. The biggest expense that I have was the housing. So I knew that I had to cut that any way possible because I love food. <laughs> That's not going to change, right? Because I'm always, I, at that time, I was enjoying going out and eat. And I love traveling. Like, I value traveling, meeting up with my friends, doing all these cool stuff. That I'm not cutting that out anytime soon, right? So the biggest thing that I kind of decipher and identify with myself is cutting down on my housing, um, and once I did that, then I realized I, I do have room in uh, my budget to kind of breathe and do other things. And, and, and all, in, in essence, too, it kind of kind of create those discipline tactics within yourself to um, not eat as much out, eat out as much <laughs> as I was doing, and, and essentially not travel as much because I don't have to go to every festival <laughs> that's out, right? I have to be very mindful of what I do, but if I do go out to the festival, maybe not, you know, rent a hotel, maybe try to see someone that I know from college or whatever, if they have an extra room or whatever I can do. So just, I guess just tweaking, you know, the things that I love, but also being very mindful of the things that I want to do in the future. So contributing to my retirement account, putting money in my health savings account, especially as a woman, um, any, you know, unplanned pregnancies or any, you know, like medical things that may happen, I have money to kind of back it up. So I don't have to kind of worry about if my um, health insurance covers a certain deductible, I have to cover the, the next 20%, you know? So I have want to make sure that I was covered on all aspects. And it just took a little bit of tweaking, a little bit of just money management, where can I put my money so it can work for me? I love that. So you know, I love seeing people who look like us doing what you're doing, right? I think it's, I, I truly think that that is the biggest gift that we can give each other. How has the feedback been since you've started sharing your own journey? Have you seen the inspiration? Have you seen people envious? Have What has been your experience so far up to this point? Um, I, I think it's been, for the most part, a positive um, a positive feedback and, and just seeing others being a little bit more transparent, just discussing about money. I, I really don't focus too much on any negative feedbacks on anyone. Um, I honestly don't really care <laughs> because all, all actuality and just in real life, I am genuinely a happy person because I have so much control in my life and I know what I value right? And I'm not into the, um, I guess, age or into that whole persona where I need others to kind of influence what I need to do. I I'm not into that, right? So when I'm sharing and people are reaching out to me, I get so inspired that they're looking at my story, trying to see themselves in me almost because I look like them, 
right? And, and it takes it takes that narrative of people to share because we don't know what we know if we're not sharing, right? And I think that's a, a, a huge disservice in the Black community because we don't share enough. And the things that we do share is not beneficial <laughs> to us, right? So I, I feel like if I want to be that person, if I really want to do a service to my community, to people that looks like me, I need to share these things, that there's no service as serving others. And that's one of my primary love languages, acts of service. And I wanna make sure that if there's a simple things as like, you know, disputing something from their credit report or how can they get a better interest or who to contact, um, how to actually do money management, the basics, I'm all for it because I, I think that we are in a time where it just is microwavable information. No one wanna put in the work of actually learning the basics, actually learning the knowledge and incorporating that so it could be beneficial for them, maybe not now at this moment, but position yourself to be ready for five years, 10 years, 15 years from now, where you're in this place of just living more comfortably and not being stressed about money. And for the Black community, just sharing is one of the most uh, valuable assets that we can actually do for one another. So when I hear feedback, people buying their first homes or credit poor, FICO score is great. It, 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 just, it just does something to me in my heart that I know I'm serving people that not only looks at me um, for inspiration, or for encouragement, but now they're becoming uh, the person that they want to push it forward for someone else, right? And it's, it's just that interconnection that I love having and sharing with people because it's gonna be the thing in the breaking point for everyone to have a position um, and a seat at the table. I love that. I think that you brought up a really good point that I think sharing your story, sharing your wins, sharing your losses is super duper important to plant a seed in somebody's head. And I think not sharing it is, is actually a lot of people think if I just don't talk about it, that it's neutral, I'm not doing any harm, but I'm not doing any inspiration. But I truly think not sharing it is doing harm. If you have made financial mistakes, and you don't share it with your little cousins, or you don't share it with your children or your siblings, you are setting them up to make the same exact mistakes you did. If you are very ashamed of, you know, maxing out a credit card and closing it out, you not telling people your story is actually hurting them. And I think that's what happens a lot in the black community is that we don't want to share our losses, but we also don't want to share our wins. Um, and I, I do think that it is damaging us because you don't want to be offensive. You don't want to be, what's the word I'm looking for? You don't want to be unsympathetic, you know, I realize that not everyone can replicate what I have done. That doesn't stop me from sharing it. And there are going to be people that say, hey, you got lucky or, you know, you had it easy or you had this advantage. And they're absolutely right. But that should not stop you. It should not stop me. It should not stop any of us from trying to make a way ourselves. Even if you can't do the exact same things I did, and I'm sure I can't do the exact same things you did. It doesn't mean that we still can't seek to inspire despite the envy that may come with it. So I think that, that that's probably the biggest uh, hurdle I've had, at least personally sharing my story, is I want to be inspirational and I don't want to be envious. But I, 
I want to say, I don't remember the exact guess, but he, he said it to me and it made sense. He's like, you can't control how people take it. You know, you just have to put it out there and let them absorb it however they want to. And they decide whether they're going to be inspired or envied. Yeah, you, you definitely have to relinquish that power. You only have control of yourself and what you put out. What is your, um, what is your story? But um, also just what are you getting from it all and if you only want to help which is your intentions then it's coming from a true place right so however others take it it's not from something that you're doing it's how they're taking it so you have no control over that absolutely yeah yeah it's something I, i'm still realizing and I, and I know i'm not the only person that struggles with it either but that's why i like to have the conversation to uh just to make sure we're all on the same page. It's like, if our intention is to 100% inspire, if people don't accept it that way, we have no control over it. So I think that's the, that's just, that's the great, that's the greatest thing and the worst thing about social media. So, but hey, I'm prepared for all the smoke. All so, the smoke. Yeah, all the smoke, all yo. All the smoke. <laughs> So Atlanta, what are your, what is your plan going forward? Do you want to retire early? Do you want to travel the world and never have to work again? What is your plan going forward and how do you plan on accomplishing that? Um, my plans going forward is, you know, continues to be happy, of course. Uh, but just every year I try my best to level up as much as I can. It could be new skill sets. I'm in a current um, certificate program trying to get my CPC um, but also looking to rental properties, um, cause right now I'm a homeowner. I'm looking to how I'll be looking at the numbers right now, how I'll be able to get a rental property here in Florida. Uh, but also just next 20 years, 15 years, when I will like to retire, uh, before I'm 60, me and my partner have been discussing it and just something I actually just dream of. You know, I think kids, my kids will be done with, you know, school, high school. It's, I think it'll be a great time to kind of like fly off <laughs> the radar a bit and just travel more and, and just enjoy the fruits of my labor for the most part. But um, it's, it's, it's only just one, a few ways of becoming wealthy, either just spending below your means and invest, having rental property um, or just, you know, doing uh, a skill set, a specific niche that can just generate more income. And I think that's the route I want to take to generate more income, but also generate more income in order to help me buy more assets. So that's what I really want to do. And I try to focus on that, but I also try to make sure that I'm not too far ahead in the future, but kind of appreciate what I'm doing now presently. So really just continue my money management, continue budgeting, looking at different sources of how I'll be able to afford another rental and um, it just, just being happy <laughs> generally, just, just being checking on my friends, checking on my uh, family um, and, and just really try to find all those balances, pieces that keep me whole, that makes me Atlanta because it, it can, it can be frustrating just in this life alone. It's frustrating, <laughs> you know, everything that's going on in the world, but I also want to make sure that I'm at, I'm at peace with myself because when you're off balance and they don't tell you this in these financial journey, when you're off balance, you're very vulnerable to so many things out here in the world. And if you're not keeping focus on your mind and your the clarity uh, in your heart, you start becoming more prone and impressionable to things that don't serve you. 
And I try to make clear of that. And I try to make sure that my mind is focused, my heart is clear, that I can continue my financial journey while being happy. That's all I want. When you said that right now, right, there was like a sense of peace that I got from what you said, because, you know, a lot of times when I ask this question, people have the goal of, I want to hit 10, rock, 10 rental properties in 10 years, or they have these very, very fixated goals where yours is, is mainly the goal of like, I just want to be better than I was yesterday. I just want to be better than I was last year. And there is so much peace in that because it's not like a hard goal and you fail. It's like, okay, did I learn a new skill I didn't know yesterday? Did I learn a new piece of information? Did I make a move to better myself? And although you will have setbacks, you're going to have bad days, there's still a certain level of pieces. Like there really is no hard goal. I am just, as long as I am moving forward, then I am at peace. I am happy. And that's what I strive to do. But you also mentioned like, not thinking too far ahead, not getting so caught up in the future, you know, truly, truly enjoying the journey as you're going through it. I think that that is super duper underrated. A lot of people say like, I want to be retired by 40. And so they're fixated on 40. They're fixated on what am I going to do at 40? What is my life going to look like? But they're not really enjoying the, the 20 year process up to that point. And if that's a quarter of your life, and you were just fixated on 40, you know, you just, you just lost 20 years and, and you know, time is very invaluable. So I truly, I, I love that. I, I did find like a level of peace. It's like, as long as I'm improving, then I am on track. I love it. So with that being said, Atlanta, let's go into the final questions of the podcast. And I ask these same questions to every single guest that I bring on. Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> we'll see. They're spicy. Yeah, yeah. Question number one. Everyone has their own definition of what it means to have financial peace. What is your definition? Harmony. That's, that's, that's my financial peace is harmony. Is to wake up and to find, continuously find any amount of gratitude that I can, even if I have everything I actually desire and wish, is to find gratitude. No matter what position I am in, position that I wanna be in, position that I think I'm gonna be in, I'm going to always find gratitude. So financial peace is, is just harmony. It's, it's, it's a level of, of balance and a, and a level of serenity that I cannot explain because when you don't have to worry too much about money, when medical issues come up that you wasn't expecting of and you don't have to worry about the financial uh, aspects, the burnout of finding a, a different provider, when you don't have to worry about your parents and your children someday um, accessing you know, great education resources because you live in a certain neighborhood. These are all the things that I think about, just, just this piece of harmony and this balance of life that I just want. And I have now, but I just know I'm gonna continue having and working towards too. Because if you don't find gratitude where you are now, then you will find no appreciation to where you're gonna go. Well, you know what? I'm gonna challenge you on that a little bit, Alana, because do you ever think that you're ever gonna find 100% harmony in life? Harmony is, is more of a, a, a mindset. 
it's, it's not something that we can actually see or is, is tangible. It's more of a mindset. So when you have a financial aspect to that or a backing of that, it just allow you to have more peace into. Because right now I feel like as I have this harm, harmonious space that I have in my life at this point, but I want to continue working towards that peace and making sure that I am disciplined enough that I can continue appreciating that piece. So it, it's not something that I need to just, it, it's not any of that, it's, it's a mindset. And if we don't kind of to kind of like clarify where we are and things that we're trying to do, then no, you will never have it because you'll be too sidetracked from everything that's going on in the world. I don't want that because the world's already sidetracked as it is. I want to have that harmony within myself. And I think uh, more and more um, continues with this journey will just teach me and show me that I can have it. Gotcha. So, because when you say harmony, the first thing I think of is balance, you know, balance with time, balance with finances, balance with spiritual, balance with family, and all these things are in balance. Now, what does balance mean? Balance doesn't mean 25%, 25% and everything's equal, but balance means everything is in, it's where it needs to be. So it might be 10% towards finances and 35% towards family. And they're always going to be changing. They're, you're always going to have times in your life where you're focused on family more and then you're focused on finances more then you have to work about spiritual more and things along those lines. So you frame it as though either you have harmony or you don't. And it sounds like you already have harmony. There, there really isn't a finish line to where life is going to be 100% balanced and you make it. You can just always improve on it more. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that's not about right. And now I have more balance within myself. And I think that no matter what's going on outside of me externally, that I'm going to continue doing my best so that it could be in tune of what I need and what I value. And that's why I was contributing more to a harmonious life and continuous harmonious life. Because if you don't have those internal things, intrinsic things inside of you, then most things will be in balance so much because it's so triggered for everything that's going on around you. It's gonna happen. We have no control over that. It's gonna happen, but we have more control of ourselves. I love it. I love it. Question number two, if there are listeners out there that want to start building wealth and they have no clue where to get started, what would you tell them? Listen to the Financial Grio podcast. <laughs> we drove. <laughs> You're the first one, man. You're the first one to plug. I'm telling you, I set this question up so people can say, hey, go to my go to my Instagram page or go to this. And nobody has ever plugged it. You're the first guest to ever plug it. Yes, yes. We, we, we dropping gems. You got, you got the Gen Z uh, money podcast. We dropping gems here. They're, we're in the space of so much information, right? So much information. And I want people to understand that most time can be overload, you know? And it's just more or less the things we're looking at on our phone or on a computer or on a TV. It's, I, I didn't even, you know, speak about things that's outside of us in the world, but it's just an overload of information. I don't want people to think that um, the information is not there. It's just to be very, you have to discern this information, what is um, valuable to you, right? Like you don't want to get into a space where people are telling you to do this, all these scammy, you know, behavior and tactics, but you have to kind of define what information works for you. I'm more of a practical person. If it's practical, 
seems easy enough <laughs> and it seems a little bit of work that I have to work towards it, I'm going to do it. I, I don't need uh, information that's not digestible or so many things I have to loops I have to get through. But if I can work on it and, and gain the knowledge, that's that's what I'm going to do. There's so much information. There are podcasts, there are YouTube uh, content creators that are really putting their life in the forefront. Um, this podcast with yourself, you, you brought on so many great guests. Um, the Financial Grill, you have uh, three people in di- different spaces in um, industries that we're, we're all trying to figure it out and we're sharing our stories. And so it, it's really a matter of information, how you discern it, but also how you use that information for your own life. I love that. I think uh, one of the major problems with the personal finance space is there's so many people that are pushing concepts and not enough people. Uh, pushing tactical steps, meaning like, I will tell you the first thing you need to do is sit down and write a budget while another content creator, which I, it's, and it's no, I promise I have no ill intent towards anyone. Some people say, (laughs) they'll be like, you need to go and go look at the trees and go, you know, it's just all of this mental games, all this mental hoops you need to jump through. You need to go and lift a hundred pounds in order to get your finances in there. And, And just all this fluff to where it's like, no, people need tactical steps that they can literally listen to and go do it. Okay. I need you to go to fidelity and open up a Roth IRA. That is tangible. You can actually do it. If I say first thing you need to do is change your mindset. It's like, okay, what the fuck, what the, what the fuck does that mean? Like, <laughs> so yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And I think, uh, uh go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, uh, great points, but if, if you lack discernment, you're not sure how to go about discerning certain information. Just one basic rule. If it sounds scammy, <laughs> any form of that information sounds scammy. Because if it's a duck, it's quite like a duck, it's a duck, right? So if it sounds scammy, any form or facet, then that's not the information for you. Because you don't want to put yourself in a position and doing illegal activities. And they're going to really set you back. It's going to really set you back. And as black and brown people, we don't want to get set back any further than we are. I love it. And then one last thing that you brought up, which I think is super duper important for listeners, like the reason I don't like Dave Ramsey or no, no. Okay. Let me backtrack. One of the problems that I have okay, with Dave Ramsey, okay. one of the problems I have with Dave Ramsey is it's his way or the highway. And I understand for his content, that's fine. I am more practical and I realize I might, you know, have 10 steps to do something and a re a, a listener might only follow eight of them because that works for them. They might only take six. So I'm a big proponent of take what you like and leave what you don't. If I talk about index funds and you just don't like index funds, you can completely disregard all of that. But I can guarantee there's nobody that's going to come listen to this podcast and not find one thing that they agree with me with. And so that's why Dave Ramsey, it's like his way or the highway. It, it's very polarizing. And so it's the same thing with the financial grill. You might listen and you might, they might say 10 things you like and two things you don't. Take right. what you like and leave what you don't. Shout yeah. out to Dave Ramsey. I love Dave Ramsey. I, that, that slipped out. I didn't mean it, but. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Atlanta. Question number three. If there's one thing you could advise everyone to avoid doing to build wealth, what would it be? Let's see. There's so many things. <laughs> There's so many things. Um, I, I think the number one thing is don't create 
don't create a LLC, a business, if you don't have any income. It, it, it doesn't work and you're taking out a credit card <laughs> with no revenue, no nothing. You have to pay back that loan. You have to pay back that credit line. You just have, I see, and I'm saying this because I have seen it countless and countless of times where you have uh, financial um, content creators are spewing out this advice and not to say it just all the way bad. It's like, we want you to create LC, We want you to create a business, but we also want you to be smart with your money. Don't just take out these credit lines. You have no revenue. You don't have a website. You don't have no clients. You don't have anything <laughs> that's going on right now. It's, it's really about being smart because you really don't want to have so much of setbacks for yourself without really um, doing a business plan, creating your, your clients, having the basic money management, right? Because you'll be in the negative way before you are in the positive to do so. And these are not people taking out five, $10,000 loans or credit lines. They're taking out 50, 60, almost $100,000 that I have seen people do. So really be mindful of the information that you're hearing because um, with LLCs, people are saying, you know, close out the LLC and um, write it off on your credit port to take off on your student loans. I, I have heard countless of illegal things <laughs> that you should not do. And, and, and it's, not, it's not good information. So I, I really will try to tell people, if you want to create a business, it just do it with the bare bones and information and resources that you have. Don't put yourself in a position. Do not put yourself in a position where you cannot pay back the loans. You cannot pay back that uh, business credit. Really be careful when you're doing those things. Atlanta, I, that's such a, it's crazy because I haven't even discussed this topic on the podcast yet. Now I, I feel like I have to, because that is so important, especially, I feel like where you're coming from with this is like, especially lately, these PPP loans, people are opening up businesses, they're taking yeah. out these PPP loans to get this extra money. And then they think they can just close down the LLC and, you know, be fine or open up these lines of credits, open up these credit cards. Listen, guys. Always ask yourself, before you take advice from anybody, before you take advice from me, before you take advice from Atlanta, before you take advice from the neighborhood finance guy or anybody we ever talk about, ask yourself this. What does that person have to gain from me following this advice? And nine times out of 10, they're going to have something to gain. For example, the, the loan, the business loan officer that says, hey, if you open up an LLC, I can get you this money. Think about what do they have to gain? They get commission. They just made a bad loan. What happens after that loan is created? Nine times out of 10 does not affect them. Same thing if you're buying a car from a car dealership. After, you, after they get their commission, they have nothing to do with that car anymore. You have to deal with all the repercussions. So it's the same thing opening up a business, doing these PPP loans. Like they're not going after the loan officers, which they should, but they're not. They're going off the people who did it. And if you think creating an LLC, opening up all this debt, trying to file bankruptcy for the LLC and all that, and they're not going to come after you, you are very sadly mistaken. So always ask yourself, what does this person have to gain from me listening to their podcast or their, their content? If I tell you to go pay off your credit card, what do I gain from that? Nothing. You get happy. <laughs> right. like, that's what I have to gain. So all these people, anytime they take advice, always ask yourself that. Nine times out of 10, they have something to gain, especially whole life, life insurance. They oh. have something to gain. So listen, don't, if your friend tries to sell you whole life, 
they're not your friend. But I don't want to go down a tangent. <laughs> this is this is Atlanta show, but that that's such great advice. Is like, and that's the easiest way to discern good advice from bad advice. If they yeah. have something to yeah. gain from you following the advice, nine times out of ten, it's not. It's it's nothing, you know, good. So question number four, Atlanta. If there's someone out there that doesn't believe they can reach financial peace due to their age, race, religion, sexual orientation, et cetera, what would you say to change their mind? I would ask them, why not? Why not? When I see others are doing these things or just at peace or just doing basic money management, I always ask myself, why not me? Why not you? Based on your orientation, based on your religion, based on you know your race, your social class, it does not matter. One thing about the the internet, and a lot of people may may assume that you know it's toxic, it's all these things, misinformation, scam things. I think it's the equalizer. It is a form of equalizer for everyone. No matter you are black, white, purple, no matter your social class, doesn't matter where you're from or any part of the world, if you have access to the internet, if you have access to the library, if you have a library card, there's nothing stopping you. Why not you? Why not you? And, then you, and you have to question yourself because when you don't see yourself in others who are achieving these successes, you have to kind of look at yourself to say that, am I less than them? You're not. You're in a different community, you're a different group, maybe, of course, but you're not less than anyone. And they're not better than you because they achieved this. So you have to ask yourself, why not me? And that's one of the things that I have to remind myself to, to not look into just comparison. I have to look into myself to say, why not me? It can be you. Because when you break it down, there's no other person that can do the same things that that person do if they just don't apply the same knowledge and same skills and everything that they did too. So why not you? If anyone else, why not you? Atlanta, golly, that is awesome. And the thing is like, that's why people like you are so creative because it is very hard for someone to ask themselves that. Or even then they can come up with all of the excuses. Well, why can't I do this? Oh, it's because I'm black. I, why can't I do this? Because I'm five foot four. Now there are some things that you might be limited to. Like you're not, probably not going to be in, a, in, in the NBA if you're five foot four. It's right. possible. <laughs> once you see someone else do it, you realize it's possible. But I think that that's, it's really important why we need people like you because you'll ask, well, why, why can't you do it? Oh, I can't do it because of this. Well, here's this person, they're doing it. Well, I can't do it because of this. Well, here's this person. They're doing it. So it's like, that's what makes, I think, personally, I'm not trying to toot my own, but I think that's what makes podcasts like this so powerful is because I'm bringing on people every day who are, who look like you or have the same problems, have the same upbringing as you, and they're still doing it. It provides inspiration. So black yeah. women can watch this and say, Atlanta's doing it. Why can't I? Or they might see me, a mixed culture doing it. Well, he's doing it. Why can't I? And so- right. I love it. I love it. Atlanta, this has been such an awesome, awesome, <laughs> awesome interview. Oh my goodness. You dropped some bangers. So tell the audience, where can they find out more about you? Yeah. So thank you so much, James, for having me. This has been, it, 
this interview went quick. We had a good time. I had a great time with you. I really appreciate it. So you can find me on the podcast streets, uh, the Financial Griot. That's uh, Financial Griot, G-R-I-O-T. We're on all the podcast platform at Clues on Apple, I think on Spotify as well. Um, so find me on the podcast streets. Also, you can find me on IG. If you just want to reach out, say, hey, or just a follow, or just have a mess, have a question, anything. I'm very accessible. You can reach out to me. Uh, and my IG handle is Alanta. It's A-L-A-I-N-T-A underscore Elson, A-L-C-I-N. And I am here or just catch me on uh, Facebook. I'm on Facebook as well. So if anyone have a question, if you want to just um, have an idea or anything, just let me know. And of course, guys, y'all are not going to have to go very far. I'm going to have her Instagram, Facebook, and the podcast link down in the show notes below so you guys can find all of that. Atlanta, it truly, truly, truly has been <laughs> such a pleasure to have you on. This conversation has been absolutely phenomenal. And I, I really want to have you on in the future, especially when you secure that first rental property. I, I'm a rental guy. <laughs> I love me some rentals. But yeah, I, I just love this conversation. And I truly believe that not only are you going to make it, you're going to inspire, or you're going to inspire, 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 <laughs> what good. in the world? Okay, <laughs> you are going to inspire so many people. And yeah, I just love it. And I, I truly hope you guys the best, not only with the social media, but also with the podcast, because you guys are doing God's work. I really appreciate James for having me. I'll see you soon, a few few months. Absolutely. FinCon yeah. 2022. Let's FinCon. <laughs> I can't wait to meet you. So it's going to uh, be fun. Uh, awesome. All right, Atlanta. I will catch you later. All right. Peace. And guys, that is my interview with Miss Atlanta. Gosh, oh gosh. We went through so many different topics, right? We went over scarcity mindset. We went over having... Haitian parents to where the culture differences between having Haitian parents or parents that were born in the United States. God, the survival mindset, getting out of that, how to escape the rat wheel and all of these different things. So man, oh man, does she bring so much. She brings a different perspective and a different cultural perspective to this whole conversation. So if you guys want to hear more from Atlanta, which I listen to it all the time, you guys can go to the Financial Griots podcast. I'll have that link down in the show notes where you guys can give that a listen. But yes, yes, yes. She is so awesome. I can't wait to meet her at FinCon, which by the time this episode airs, I would have already met her. But God, she brought so much fire. And I just love to hear the transformation of someone going from that scarcity mindset to such an optimal future. That's because it relates so much to my story, to me just saving money and not realizing like, why am I saving money? Where am I going? And finding a path finding a plan to get there and executing flawlessly, which Atlanta has done. So I really appreciate you guys sticking around and listening. I really hope you guys get something from this. And I hope you guys really understood the mindset where she was and the mindset that she was able to transform into. But without, with that being said, guys, I'm your host, James Bowman. And always remember, you're only as secure as your ability to perform. So spend your life accumulating assets that can perform for you. Later, guys.